good morning, everybody. Lovely to be here. I'm going to be sharing in a continuation of the series that we've been doing on um, a sanctuary of life with God. And I have a particular focus verse that we're going to look at. Oh, that didn't work. I've got to go that way, don't I? Did that work? No, it didn't went too far. That's it. There's the focus verse. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Now, as I go through this, you're going to see a lot of slides that look like this. There's no way known that you can read the fine print. I knew that would be the case. And the reason is because this particular verse fits inside a very large context in the scriptures. It's kind of like if anybody's ever done knitting or weaving or, or, or made a tapestry, you have this massive number of threads and colours. And in this particular passage in the book of Revelation the, and, the, and the verses that surround it, all of those threads are coming together in one piece. And unless you understand where the threads have come from, you just get completely confused. And the reason why the book of Revelation is hard to read is because you actually need to have an understanding of fine detail of things that are in the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, uh, and in the prophets, and, and also things mentioned in the Gospels. And all these threads have come together in this one huge part. And this is one of a number of amazing verses. And this is the end point of what we're going to, the hope that lies within us, that, or this is part of the end point. This isn't even the full picture, this single verse, but it's a good focus verse to look on to understand that at the end point of what we're going for, when we finally are in the new Jerusalem, the city of God and, and, and the new heavens and the new earth, what we're going to discover is we will not see any temple. There'll be no temple there. And that's quite a shock to a lot of folk because they think, oh, we're going to get this third temple and there's going to be new temples and bits and pieces. Well, actually, the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, but it says something far more powerful and far more glorious. But it's not the kind of thing that we can understand quickly. It's not the kind of thing you can just have like a, a, a takeaway sermon and think, oh, that, that's it. Well, I'll, I'll eat on that later. This is the kind of thing that takes some diligent, careful reflection, contemplation. And it takes time for all the threads to come together. Now, if you just bear with me, I'm going to do a dramatic reading in a moment. Uh, as we get ourselves prepared, I just need to open up my device here and get the scripture going. <clears throat> and I, as I do this dramatic reading I'm going to read a, a fairly long passage of scripture and I hope I'm going to make it uh, bearable by reading it dramatically so I haven't had anyone direct me I'd really love Dan to have sort of directed me in this before we started but nevertheless I'm, I'm going to give it a go and I want you to imagine yourselves we're going to set the scene right now imagine that you are a group of people on the island of Patmos in the Aegean, around about the end of the first century, just off the west coast of Turkey. Looks, sounds to me like my sound has gone. Yes. Talking, talking. No, that's better. Just imagine that you are a group of people at 
on the island of Patmos in the northern Aegean off the west coast of Turkey. And, and what has happened, what has happened is that your, your, your leader, the Apostle John, the person who sat in the Last Supper with Jesus, the person who stood at the foot of the cross, the person who, who was the, actual, the last of the apostles to die, right, had had this incredible vision and was writing it down. And just imagine that you're sitting there and he came out and he'd started to tell you what he'd seen. Now, we're coming late in the picture. You've probably heard a lot by this stage. But I'm going to start from the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 11. And I'm going to read through to chapter 22, verse 5. Now, they're short chapters, so it won't take forever. But I hope you're going to be able to get the, piece, the picture because to understand this verse, it's embedded in this. You can't understand this verse without understanding those these things. So let's, let's get going. Okay, now I'm the Apostle John, and you're my friends, and I'm telling you. Then, then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them according to what they'd done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, 
The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance was like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates, the north, three gates, the south, three gates, and the the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square. Its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. That's about a thou- just over 1,000 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits. That's from the tip of my finger to my elbow. By human measurement, which was also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each with gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding fruit to each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. 
and ever. You've done well sitting patiently through a very long reading. The Word of God was actually designed in the way it was written for it to be read, probably with more skill than I've used, but nevertheless read and heard orally. You've heard it. We've heard it together. And it's an interesting context. This, this particular verse we're looking at here, for I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty in the name. Let me just focus on that a little bit, and then I'm going to run through some other slides. And please forgive me if I go quickly because uh, there's weeks of teaching in this, and I'm, this is going to be like a skipping stone, like a pebble bouncing across the surface of the water. And for those of you who are interested, I've gone and I've produced all that fine print so that you're able to get it and take a look at it and, and, and try to recall what I've said. But, I, but there's not a lot that I can say about each point as we come through. But let's focus, first of all, on this phrase, no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God and the Almighty and the Lamb. Now, in, in the description of everything you saw there, you saw a description, this, this uh, thing that was uh, over a thousand miles wide, uh, sort of almost like the distance from Sydney to Melbourne. And it was a cube, a gigantic cube. Now, for those of you who understand types and shadows and the way those sorts of things worked, particularly in the Old Testament, that was actually describing the shape of the Holy of Holies. Now, if you, if you, who's heard the word Holy of Holies? Would you raise your hand and understand what the Holy of Holies is? Okay, now, basically the Holy of Holies was the place in the temple where God himself was actually present. And the first time there was a holy of holies was in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Right? When, when uh, the nation of Israel was taken out of Egypt, they received the Ten Commandments at Sinai, and God said, look, I want to come and dwell with you. I want to come and dwell with you, but for me to be able to dwell with you, I have to... Uh, separate myself from you because you are actually a bit dysfunctional. Actually, to tell you the truth, you're seriously dysfunctional. And if, if you bring your dysfunction into my presence, my presence will destroy you. Not because I don't like you, but because you just simply couldn't stand who I was because I'm, 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 I'm holy and I know what you should be, but you've fallen away from that and I don't want you to be destroyed by who I am. So in the, in the, in the, in the wilderness, they built this thing called the tabernacle. And Has anybody ever done a study on the tabernacle in the wilderness? Okay, a couple. Basically, the tabernacle in the wilderness separated the people from God with a big white fence, white speaking of righteousness. So in other words... If you want to put it in Australian, you're a pack of rat bags. You stay out there. I love you, and I'm going to work out how to get you in here. But right now, I can't get you in until you've been able to get yourself washed and cleaned up. All right? And so that, that cut off this big compound, which was called the outer court. And the only way you could come in was through an altar of sacrifice that spoke of the death of Jesus on Calvary. Then... If you, if you went through there and you went past that, you went into what was called the holy place where you learned holy things and you started to grow and to understand, but, but still you weren't ready to enter the holy place, most holy place. You, were in the holy, you weren't ready to enter the, mo, the holy of holies, you could enter the holy place. So you experienced holy things. 
So this is kind of like people who said, yes, well, I've accepted Jesus and I'm sort of really wanting to, to go on, but I really want to know what it is to live totally in the presence of God. And so there was this thing called the Holy of Holies and there was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the shape of the Holy of Holies was a cube. And the cube here represents the Holy of Holies, the holy city coming down. And the reason there is no temple in the city is there's no need for a temple because the temple was the same design as the tabernacle. Outer court, inner court, holy of holies. And why was there an outer court, inner court and holy of holies? Is because we needed to grow. We needed, first of all, to be separated because of sin. When sin's forgiven, we then need to grow. And as we grow, we enter into the fullness of the experience of God. And so why do we have the holy of holies why is there no need for a temple in the city? And the reason is because the, the city is the holy of holies. There's no need for an outer court or an inner court. The city is the holy of holies. And basically what is being said here, and this is the promise to every person in this room, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. This is how God is wrestling with your spirit as you'd be prepared to listen to him is he is drawing you closer and closer to him into a place of complete union with him so that in your life and your experience, not only have you been saved from the wrath is to come, but you have been united with God and you are a person who knows what it means to live and dwell in the holy of holies. And the entire city is the holy of holies and there is no longer any need for an outer court or an inner court. So that's the, that's the, the, the beautiful uh, passage there of this, this, this picture of total, complete oneness with God. Uh, let me now tell you, um, I was talking to a group of people about this during the week, about this concept of the oneness with God, is that there is, in our English language, a word called atonement. Now, for us, atonement means when sin has been punished or paid for. It's been atoned for. And we'll often say to people, you've got to atone for the bad things you've done. Now, that's okay. The word means that and it's valid to mean that. But the interesting thing is it has slipped from its original intention. Because when the early English Christians were trying to find a word that described God's desire to bring us to a place of total union with him. You know how Paul the Apostle often says, till Christ is formed within you. It's the fullness, the fulfillment of Christ. How many of you still believe Christ has got some work to finish in you? Yes, okay. Till Christ is for, formed within you. Well, that, that basically means until you and your life and your personality and your will are completely at one with God, was originally intended to be called the at one And if you write at one down, it's spelt the same as atonement, and we... And we but it was actually originally meant to be the at-one-ment. This verse is speaking of the fact that at the end of the end of the end, when God has finally completely fulfilled his purpose, there will be such an at-one-ment with God, there will be nothing to be separated from it. But at the same time, in the context of this verse we see the completion of some things that, are, that also look pretty ferocious and people don't like to talk about these days. And it began when I spoke about the one who was on the throne with the great white throne judgment. 
when death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire and, and whoever's name was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the person on the same person on the throne who said, I am the Alpha and the Omega and I will give to the thirsty the waters of life and I want to draw you to me and, I, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, neither crying. The interesting thing is, and this, this, is, this is important in today's social justice concept, uh, understanding, is that the cry for salvation in the scriptures, in its fullness, contains, the way I like to categorize it, is in three main threads. The thread we're most familiar with is where Jesus has saved us from our sins. And I believe that whoever reaches out to Jesus and said, Jesus, save me, you are saved. But what you are saved from is the judgment I just described in Revelation 19. You are saved, that, that aspect of, a, of salvation that we're speaking about, you're saved from sin, saved from the devil, but you're also saved from the judgment. In one sense, you're saved from Jesus. Jesus came to save you from Jesus. He doesn't want you to be on the wrong side of the ledger when, the, when, this, when these books are opened. And that's the main aspect of salvation that we've often heard preached. But in the scriptures, God bringing justice to the nations, listen to the cry of the prophet Habakkuk, God bringing justice to the nations and putting aside sin and, de and destroying the wicked. How long, O oh God, will the wicked prosper? We'll often hear in the cry of the Psalms. And the cry for justice in the world will finally be, be adjusted at this great white throne judgment. That's what's actually said. That's what I read. So, in one sense, the final judgment is one of the threads of salvation. Our being washed clean and separated from it and forgiven is another thread of salvation. And the third thread of salvation is again what is reflected in this idea of at one Jesus has saved us, but he's continuing to save us from ourselves as we grow and Christ is formed in us, and we become fully what he has created us to be. And all three of those threads are working at the same time, and all three of those threads come flowing together in these scriptures. Now, let's move very quickly through these. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. Just to give you a few clues there, the idea of the sea there doesn't mean there won't be any surfing and people saying, I don't want to go to heaven because there won't be any surf. Actually, the sea spoke of the abode of evil. The sea was something to be afraid of. It's, it's, it's something where there were monsters in the deep and Leviathan was there and, and, and for us it's like sharks and blue bottles and all of those sorts of things and the sea was evil. So in other words, there was, no, 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 there was nothing where evil abode or hid, no hidden places where there was bad stuff. And I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, Jerusalem actually means city of peace. Now, Jerusalem has been and still isn't a city of peace. It's intended to be a city of peace, but it isn't. <coughs> but the true Jerusalem will effectively be the whole earth. When God will bring his city, his way, his kingdom will cover everything and the kingdom of God will be the city of peace ruled over by the king of righteousness, 
which interestingly enough in Hebrew is, is Melchizedek. Right, but that's, a, that's another topic. Okay, uh, Jerusalem comes in adorned as a bride for a husband. Now, this is a really interesting thing because all of us blokes, all of us finally, we get to be a bride. Uh, and this is important. This is where the feminine bit, uh, we get the feminine masculine bit tangled up. The reason why um, <coughs> we've got to understand what's feminine in the scheme of things in the scriptures is the church. We are all being prepared to be a bride. And that, in one sense, that means that men, our sisters, have a more intuitive understanding of what it means to be human than we do by ourselves. We have a temporary role. We're ultimately to be a bride, the bride of Christ, members of the city of Jerusalem. Just, just think about that. That's a, that's, a, that's a fascinating beauty. And by the way, the concept of the bride is very important too because we are living in the days of the New Testament, the New Covenant, the word covenant in Hebrew is the same as the word for marriage. So the whole new, and that's why we had the parable of the ten virgins and these, the whole theme of marriage that flows through the prophets and all of those sorts of things. Here again are these threads, and again, I'm sorry this is so scrambled, but all of these threads, and I just hope I'm making you hungry to go and, and, and untangle this. There's so much beautiful stuff there that really guides and directs our lives. Dwelling place of God. And I heard a loud voice from, from his throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. The interesting thing there is the word dwelling place there actually is tent or tabernacle, allocating back to the tabernacle in the wilderness that I spoke to you about. And also an interesting thing is in John 1.14, when it says in the word made flesh, when Jesus became man, and it says, and he dwelt amongst us, it was an, also this same word for dwelling was there. He tabernacled amongst us. He became the presence of God amongst his people. So there's this whole concept of the presence of God that is built within it. And then look at this. The one who had judged evil in the world was finally able to wipe the tears away from the eyes. And do you know why he's able to do that? Because it's evil that causes the tears. It's the evil and the wickedness in this world that causes the tears in the morning and the death. Remember, death came in through sin, it says in the word of God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. All things are made new. And he, and I love this part, I can just, I love this part, where you could imagine him sitting there, and John is seeing the vision. And after the judgment's done, and he says, look, all the pain's going to go. And he looks and he echoes those beautiful words he said on the cross when he said, it is finished. He says, it's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's completed. It's completed. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the one who started this stuff and I'm going to bring it to an end. To the thirsty, I can now give living water. We can now live as we were created to live because sin and the fall has finally been defeated. Oh, hang on. There we go. 
And then that's the, that's the cube. I've already spoken on that. No temple in the city. And I've already spoken on that. So in many ways, I've covered the whole picture of everything that we've done. Hang on. Is that changing? There we go. We're back. So what we've done this morning is I've tried to give you a picture of this vision that John the Apostle received on the island of Patmos. I've, I've read it through to try to get a sense of the overall picture with a focus on this one particular verse. And that one particular verse is the focus of... Oh, what have I done? The focus of where we're going now as a church. The focus of where God is wanting to take us. Maybe if I go this way, I'll get it. Oh, there we are. You got it back. Thank you for that. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And I'd like you all, as we come here, like all of us to think, here we're in this little church. We're a group of people who are on this journey. In some ways, we're a group of people who are already this. And this is being perfected amongst us. Because the Holy Spirit, God himself, is working in every one of our lives, forming our character till Christ is formed in us so that we can be this kind of community in advance. Because that's what I believe the church is. Taking a hold of the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit, becoming a sanctuary vibrant with life, but it's a sanctuary vibrant with supernatural life, with supernatural light, with supernatural life. A sanctuary that is excited about having our lives purified and all those things in the vice list it's not like we've got to get rid of them do you know what I love about those vice lists they're a promise I get to be free of all of that stuff I get to be free of sexual immorality I get to be free of anger I get to be free of all the bad stuff and I'm going to be a person who lives by the by the tree of life, who lives in the stream of God, who lives as a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem. It's not a question of me being hard on myself. I'm too selfish to want anything less than the fullness of what God wants for me. And we're all invited into that same, that same self-respect, that same self-care. We don't have to be overcome by this world. We're a people who can live by the faith of the Son of God. And this is what, that which overcomes the world, even our faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. Jesus, Lamb of God, I thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your awesome presence here in us. I pray, Lord, that you stir up mightily within us. Transform us, Lord. Burn out everything of our lives that need not be here. And fill us, Lord, with the fullness of your glory. Anything you take from us is small compared to the glory you want to give us. Lord, let us know how to count everything as, this, as rubbish for the sake of knowing you. No earthly ambition is worth comparing to the glory that you have for us. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name.